Welcome to The Barrel Banter, a show covering all things Milwaukee Brewers. From trades to signings, player analysis to game recaps, or discussing uniforms, ballpark food, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Hello, welcome to The Barrel Banter. I'm here with my co-host, David. David, welcome to the show. Thank you. We do have another meaningless stat today. Even though we're in the dead of offseason now, first time recording in the actual offseason, we do still have meaningless stats from this year. Eric Lauer, while wearing number 27, which happened in 2020, 1309 ERA in 11 innings, but while wearing number 52, which he has for the past two years, 3.47 ERA in 277 innings. Clearly, it was not the mechanical adjustments. It was not the additional velocity. It was not the change in mentality. It was the change in the digits on the back of his jersey that made the difference for Eric Lauer and turning him into a solid everyday, or excuse me, solid back of the rotation starter. Yeah, uh, I feel like 52 fits him better. The the lefty, I don't know, 52, maybe it's just because he's been having that number more recently, but I feel like that's that's more fitting. It actually reminds me of, uh, we're recording this here Sunday night while the Packer game is going on. I actually have no idea how they're doing today. After the lackluster start to the season, I'm choosing not to uh, to watch tonight. But I saw before today the number 88 in Cowboys history, and this probably just tells me how little of, a, of an NFL fan I am. But I didn't realize that number 88's been passed, I think, four or five of basically the best wide receivers in Cowboys history. So Des Bryant had it, which is who I was aware of. Michael Irvin, and I apologize to the others. I Like I said, I'm not a huge NFL fan, but a couple others before him. And uh, C.D. Lamb, former Alabama, I believe, wide receiver, actually asked to wear number 88, which is a pretty bold ask as either a rookie or second-year player. And the Cowboys actually reached out to the former players to wear it and asked if, if, if that was okay for him to wear it. And they got the blessing. And one of them even said they think he's the most talented of the of the five. So interesting. He's a really good receiver already, young receiver, but uh, just kind of sparked that uh, that memory with when you talk about the numbers and significance. And David, remind me why Lauer switched numbers in the first place. It was actually to, to accommodate Jordan Zimmerman, who was in spring training at the beginning of 2021. I would guess it would have been different had Lauer established himself already with the Brewers at that point. But he had pitched kind of sparingly in 2020. And Zimmerman wore 27 with both the Nationals and Tigers. So he requested it. I'm not sure if there was any sort of deal that went down with it or if it was just that Lauer allowed him to have the number, but they did end up making that that switch. Zimmerman, of course, only lasted about a month with the team before retiring, and, and then Lauer ended up keeping 52, even when he could have switched back to 27. Willie Adames ended up claiming number 27, and it's worked out nicely, I would say, in that arrangement. Yeah, and Zimmerman did have a good career, obviously, before the Brewers, so it, it makes sense. The, the vet comes in, uh, a lot of experience and a solid Solid, as you as you said earlier, everyday uh, rotation, back of the rotation guy uh, for the majority of his career, but uh, a solid player nonetheless. So, David, what is today's trivia question? Today's trivia question is how many active players are there from the 2011 Brewers Division Championship team? Anyone who played for the team throughout that year? All right. And that was uh, inspired by, if you're watching on video here on Spotify, uh, if you aren't aware, here's a, a plug for our new video podcast that we're doing since the switch over to the barrel banter. Um, but we've, we're doing video podcasts. You can catch those on Spotify. You can see the 
can I call it retro now? Is it it's, it's over ten years? The uh, pristine twenty eleven MLB playoff hat that uh the snapback edition of of the twenty eleven era. Um, but I can definitely picture Brian Braun, Prince Fielder, uh, many others wearing the the hat. So we figured we'd uh we tie that into our trivia question. We'll as always the answer to that will be at the end of the podcast, along with our name that brewer will be trivia uh, quizzing David on uh, his knowledge of a Milwaukee brewer. So. David, we've got to start today's podcast with a couple of transactions that have gone down in the last two weeks since we last recorded. I would say pretty monumental in terms of the the offseason. I think the biggest question mark, or the, the question mark we knew we had, uh, the biggest question, I guess, was Colton Wong. And that was sort of the first domino, I think, in the Brewers' moves this offseason in looking at how to bolster the offense. Brewers, of course, as I'm sure many of you have heard, decided to exercise Colton Wong's option. That was a $10 million option for the 2023 season. They did avoid the two, avoid the $2 million buyout. So you can think of it essentially as a net $8 million payout. The Brewers decided to take on the books. Uh, Wong, of course, was known for his in, inconsistent year last year. Uh, David, you had a, a quote from Colton Wong that he shared recently that I think may have described some of the reasons for that. Wong said, I feel like my legs were so shot and I was playing through so many things that it put me in some situations where I wasn't able to get into my legs enough defensively and offensively. That's why it was such an inconsistent year for him, which it it was. I mean, in April, he really struggled to get going offensively and then started to pick it up in May and really heat it up as the year went on. But he also started to pick it up when the Brewers gave him more off days and really only played him against right-handed pitching, which helped him from a platoon standpoint, but also helped him get some more days off it it really accommodated the the bats of Brasso and Urias which Urias is an everyday player who hits lefties a little bit better and Brasso is is a player that really hits well against lefties so putting Brasso at third and and Luis Urias at second made sense and that's what they decided to do I'll be interested to see if they decide to use Wong as that strong side platoon guy again in 2023 that would be what I would be an advocate for both to keep him fresh and from an offensive standpoint. I agree. Brasso is the perfect platoon partner, of course, known for his ability to hit lefties, Wong hitting right-handers. I think it's a perfect fit. And was part of the reason that I was a big fan and big proponent of of taking on Colton Wong's contract. Again, we're talking about $8 million for a guy who was very productive last year. Again, inconsistent. But when you look at the season as a whole, he was very, very productive. And he was uh, second or third most valuable position player the Brewers had, according to a wins above replacement. So to me, it was, I don't know if I quite go as far to say a no-brainer, but in my opinion, unless the Brewers had master plans uh, on another player, another infielder addition, um, to me, it made a ton of sense. Add Wong, you still have Brasso. It's a pretty solid platoon. I know you were worried about the Brewers then not giving themselves the ability to add another infielder, potentially a bigger bat than Wong or others, but I just don't see that being very likely. And I'd rather them secure Wong and look to upgrade at the DH position um, personally. He's a solid bat. He's someone that you you play every day. He's not going to be the middle of the order guy, but they do have still an opening on the roster in that, that first base DH spot. Rowdy, I, I, like I definitely would retain Rowdy and, and, give him at bats, but I don't think he was quite as good as people think he was in, in 2022 and giving just straight up, giving the spot to Rowdy at first and Keston at DH, I think would be a little bit foolish going in. So 
DH is, is the easiest spot to add a bat. And I think that this made more sense, keeping the guy that you would expect to be probably a, a plus defender once again at second base. It's not like he lost all of his range. It was more so the errors that he was making on the field. And someone who was still a solid hitter. You've got Luis Urias who can play a capable third base. And whether whether fans like to admit it or not, was an above average hitter in 2022. So where you have those spots, you don't have holes there. Keep those kind of like where you are at and then add in a different spot. I think I think it's probably the right move to make. And so even though I, I was kind of indifferent going in about Wong's option, I think it overall is the right move. And the thing that I was most worried about was that they were going to decline Wong's option and go straight with Turing at second and Urias at third. And there's really no insurance then, no depth. And that's what I was a little bit more worried about with uh, with them if they decide to go into the season without Wong and without acquiring another infielder. Agreed. Agreed. Well, and also, you know, even back to Hira and Telez at DH and first base, yeah, I'm not certainly not comfortable entering the season in that situation either. And I, and I would be hesitant to even consider saying, well, we could enter the season and, and then bulk up at, at the deadline because we know, obviously, our past experience at the deadline has not been uh, very, uh, I guess, doesn't impose a lot of confidence in the Brewers' ability to upgrade at the deadline. So to me, the Brewers need to make some moves in the offseason. I think the Wong addition, or I guess retaining Wong, makes sense, makes the Brewers a better team, certainly would concern me a lot if we all of a sudden just expect Bryce Turang, who's never stepped on the field at the major league level, to now start at second base. Um, just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So luckily, don't have to worry about that. Uh, again, Brewers retaining Colton Wong for the 23 season. Brewers actually deciding not to retain one of their better bullpen arms, of course, in Brad Boxberger, been here the last two years, uh, fit into that seventh inning role uh, in 2021 with Williams and Hayter. Went into the 2022 season fitting that role as well. Of course, with the Hater departure, his role stepped up a little bit. And, and overall, he was pretty solid. I was a little bit concerned with him coming back in 22 after, a, a, I guess, in my opinion, better, much better than expected 21 performance. But he really held his own last year, had a 3.15 ERA across 128 innings, which is a pretty hearty load um, for the Brewers in the last – is that in the last two seasons combined? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, he's he, certainly he, this isn't 1974. Yeah, right. Exactly. He's not coming <laughs> out of the bullpen during 128 innings. Exactly. But but tell us a little bit about how uh, the Brewers went through declining. I know we we were not happy when we saw that at first. Then saw an explanation from Kurt Hawk. So break that down a little bit for us. It made a little bit more sense once you did get the explanation. They put him through waivers. Nobody claimed him actually, which to me comes as a surprise, especially in the last couple of days we've seen. Rafael Montero, who's granted had a little bit better underlying numbers, get three years 34 from Houston. And that came while James Click was was departing the team, their, their GM. So there's kind of the question there. Did he like negotiate straight with the owner? Which is possible, I think, that he, because they won a World Series and he was a part of it, that they said, well, uh, well he, he, he just decided to give him what he needed to. Uh, but anyways, enough of that uh, side tangent. We, we've seen the, the market for relievers be pretty strong. Edwin Diaz's five-year, $102 million deal, of course, the most notable. Um, granted, he is he's in a different league than Boxberger, but anytime you push up that the highest 
salary for a reliever, you're probably going to get a little bit of um, the effect where the the mid-tier guys end up getting paid a little bit more. So $3 million especially, I thought, was surprising that he went unclaimed by by every team. And he was solid in both 2021 and 22, but he did have a few concerning numbers. His strikeout rate dropped by 6% from about 31 to 25%. His walk rate increased by about a percent. His fastball velocity dropped by nearly one mile per hour. So that's presumably what they were looking at. His his fielding independent pitching went from about three to three and a half. So some of the underlying numbers didn't paint quite as as optimistic of a picture as his ERA might have uh, might have shown. Even though his ERA did improve by about a third of a run, he he didn't have the the same dominance maybe that he had in 2021 and that seemingly played into the decision to uh, cut ties with Boxberger though it did still come as a surprise to I think almost every fan yeah yeah I think you summed it up well and of course Brewers will need to replace him if they don't resign him and a little bit of a concern uh, given the Brewers I guess forte to try to find and develop the young relievers that they've been I would say pretty successful at developing, but will that necessarily continue on a team that certainly needs to have uh, consistent, solid relievers that we didn't have at the end of the season? Um, so I think Brewers certainly still need to make some additions to the bullpen, as we all know. A couple of more uh, minor moves outside of the Wong and Boxberger news. Brewers acquiring, catching, I guess, prospect, catching minor leaguer at this point, Peyton Henry, maybe a familiar name, Brewers giving up. Remington Batista for Henry. Henry, formerly with the Brewers organization, traded for John Curtis, who, of course, was that unfortunate move where Brewers traded Henry for Curtis last year at the deadline. Another one of the moves that David Stearns made recently at the deadline that, that flopped. This one, not necessarily his fault. Of course, Curtis injuring his elbow, but the Brewers choosing not to retain him at the end of last year. So, anyways, Peyton Henry back. Uh, 679 OPS in AAA over the past two seasons and just 20 games at the major league level. Is there much value here to be had in Peyton Henry, or are we talking about a triple-A depth catcher at this point? I think he's better than Alex Jackson. So I think he does represent a little bit of a step up in that. I don't know exactly how they see Henry compared to Jackson. Are they going to go into the year with both Henry and Jackson? I think if they don't add to their catching group from now until opening day, then yes, they probably keep both of them. And then keep maybe Jackson on the on the major league roster with Henry and Feliciano in AAA, given the the options that Henry and Feliciano have. But it also, I mean, it's possible that they non-tender Caratini. I think Caratini's a, a very solid backup, but whether they add a starting catcher um, will kind of determine the role that Peyton Henry has because he could end up playing a, a fairly big role. He's a, a defensive first catcher. Um, what 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 they might call the catch and throw guy, uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago, someone who's not really going to hit a whole lot, as evidenced by his sub 700 OPS in AAA over the past couple of years. But he did get the call still to the major league level, and you still can get that as a, a defensive first catcher, probably more than any other position. So he does add some valuable depth. We saw last year with them scrambling a little bit after the uh, the Pedro Severino suspension with adding adding Henry. I mean, it adds some depth. You can always have more catching depth. There's going to be generally injuries that happen to catcher and 
You're not going to necessarily be able to just put someone else there. So I think it was overall a, a solid move. Henry was probably going to get claimed by another team if the Brewers didn't swoop in and trade him a relatively low cost in a 17-year-old who hasn't gotten out of the Dominican Summer League so far. So not super noteworthy, but some nice nice depth and, and someone who's familiar with the organization and the pitchers at that too. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of not very noteworthy, final transaction here to share. Brewers claiming Tyson Miller's off waivers. Rather unimpressive. 15 and two-thirds inning pitched in the majors with 16 earned run allowed. Hasn't exactly found a lot of success in the major league level. Has been, I guess, just okay in AAA more recently. But share just a little bit briefly about Tyson Miller. He's a swingman at AAA and throws five pitches. But could he improve by maybe kind of... Uh, weeding down his his pitch repertoire to just two or three pitches as a reliever? Possibly. He hasn't really worked just full-time as a reliever, though that was his role in his very limited time in the major leagues. He only averages about 91 miles an hour on his fastball, but he's got a low arm slot and good extension. The arm slot I in our notes I put reminiscent of Strzelecki, but actually I think the better comparison would be to Phil Bickford. Bickford doesn't throw all that hard. That low arm slot, good extension, right-handed pitcher, and didn't really have a whole lot of minor league success either. Didn't have major league success when the Dodgers claimed him off waivers from the Brewers. And he ended up having a solid 2021 season, a little bit worse this year, but still a a solid depth guy in the bullpen. I don't think that Tyson Miller is going to change anything in in terms of the Brewers roster other than maybe on the edge 25th, 26th guy on the roster. Um, And one thing also of note is in his very short major league career, he's allowed an OPS over a thousand versus righties, just 639 against lefties though. Is that too small of a sample size? Maybe, probably, but when there's a gap of almost 400 points, it is still a little bit noteworthy about why that might be when you're talking about still about 90 plate appearances. Yeah. Like you said, Probably similar to Henry, can't have too much depth in the bullpen either. So it doesn't hurt to add Miller. Uh, Miller's at this point, but not going to be a huge contributor. So let's move into our second topic today, uh, grading the Brewers starting rotation, which is a little bit of a mixed bag. I'm actually excited for this one. Of course, uh, we've got Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer, Adrian Hauser, and Aaron Ashby that we're going to be grading today. So let's start out here, number one, with our ace. Corbin Burns, of course, coming off the Cy Young campaign. And I'll, I'll add this, that we, we've talked about this with our grades. Of course, these are always based off of expectations going into the year. So, no, the expectations for Hauser and Burns were not the same. So that obviously plays into it. Again, Burns coming off of a perhaps career year last year, oh, the reigning Cy Young winner. So, David, what was your grade for Corbin Burns' 22 campaign? Well, the expectations are clearly high if you said maybe a career year when he won the Cy Young that, that may be showing that we perhaps believe in Corbin Burns more than um, more than we should, expecting another Cy Young Award. But he followed up his Cy Young campaign with another excellent season. Sure, the, uh, the inning-by-inning results were maybe a little bit worse. His ERA jumped by about six-tenths of a run. Strikeout rate dropped a little bit, but he still led the league in strikeouts. So I don't think you can really complain about that at all. The main difference was the home run total. He allowed, I think it was seven, eight, or nine home runs last year, somewhere in the single digits. He allowed 23 this year, 
which I expected some regression. Home runs are part skill, but a lot of it is luck as well. So he got very lucky in 2021, and he wasn't quite as fortunate. I think we can expect to see that number actually decrease again in 2023, most likely. But he still posted a sub-3 ERA, and the big difference was he threw 202 innings this year, a 35-inning increase from last year. That's no small task to just jump that much. An extra 35 innings is about six starts, five, six starts for Corbin Burns. So to be able to do that without dropping in production by a wide margin is pretty impressive. So initially I was thinking an A minus. I'm going to go A given the fact that he did jump that much. And he was he did have some shaky starts down the stretch, but generally he was the one stabilizer in the rotation kind of from start to finish. Yeah, I couldn't have said it much better. Absolutely was just a, a fourth pretty much throughout the season. I also gave Corbin Burns an A. The Like you said, the volume, the increased volume, I think that goes under the radar because we look at ERA, FIP, strikeout per nine, all those things a lot more than we used to. But a lot of value in an extra five or six starts from Burns and was an anchor in the rotation that, of course, had several injuries, um, of course, to many of the arms, including the Brewers number two and Brandon Woodruff. Woodruff, who's kind of been that stabilizer in the rotation, led the league in, in the brief shortened 2020 season with 13 starts coming off 30 starts in 2021 in an all-star campaign all-star in 2019 with 22 starts as well uh, 27 starts in 2022 which really isn't bad when you think about it uh, his durability still has been pretty good of course ended the season he was lights out uh, really as good as burns um, the last month or two um, or better actually and Brewers really could depend on Woodruff a lot I was excited about the potential of the Brewers getting into the playoffs with a Burns-Woodruff one-two punch. Fortunately, of course, didn't see it. But Woodruff did step back a little bit from his 21 campaign, which again was expected a 2.56 ERA in 21 to a 3.05 ERA and was injured as well. So 25 or so innings pitched less in this uh, 22 campaign. So hoping for a healthy 2023 season, but I think we can expect around a, a, a 3.0 ERA from Woodruff and Baseball reference has that projection, a 3.08 ERA for him across 155 innings. Um, and overall, I think we, we know what we can expect from Woodruff. He's done it long enough that he's going to be really, really solid and ace on a lot of teams and an outstanding number two for the Brewers. So my grade for Brandon Woodruff's 22 campaign, an A. He did in the second half hold the team together. From June 28th, when he came off the injured list until the rest of the year, 2.38 ERA across 109 innings, um, and that came in 18 starts. So he was averaging about uh, five to six innings a start and allowing um, just, I mean, one to two runs, I guess, per per start. But he was really holding them together. Um, I was not able to do the math quick enough. I was trying to figure out what that would be, um, but I didn't. I didn't put it down ahead of time. Um, but I, I I'd give him an A minus because. In his first nine starts, he had just one quality start through six, excuse me, two quality starts through six innings only in each of those starts. And most of his starts were five innings, three runs, four innings, two runs, had that terrible start to start the year in Wrigley, three and two thirds, seven runs, which included, I think, three first inning walks and at least one hit by pitch. I was at that game. It was, it was not the right game to be at as a Brewers fan, but he even though he did have that rough start and perhaps that Raynaud syndrome that we 
Um, I don't think any of us really knew what Raynaud syndrome was before the year. We got to kind of learn what that was and how that might have affected him. And he proved that if that was an issue, it was was no longer an issue when he came back because he he dominated, ended up finishing the year with that 305 ERA, which if I recall correctly is identical to his 2019 ERA of 3.05, granted in about 30 more innings than he did throw in 2019. We got Freddie. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say. I was gonna say, yeah. Like, like I said, he's he's been consistent for several years. We we pretty much know what to expect. So, yeah, Freddie Peralta, uh, of course, the 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 trif- third in the trifecta. I almost wanted to just grade his season as incomplete. I uh, gave him a B for the season. What did you have for Freddie? And and tell us a little bit why. I'd give him also a B. He was okay. He was. I think he was better than people realized because it was just difficult for him to stay healthy this year. He threw 17 starts, 18 games, and 78 innings. Of course, that one relief appearance we'd like to forget about with that home run of Avisael Garcia. Grand Slam, um, that was that was one of the worst games all year long. Um, and it feels like he pitched a lot less than he did, I think, because we were used to last year where, where those top three starters stayed healthy the entire year. And even Lauer and Hauser, when they were in the rotation, were healthy last year. So I think that might be why it feels like he barely pitched, but his strikeout rate was down this year, but so was his home run rate. It was, it was down in a positive way. He was still limiting the walks and he still was limiting the hits just like he uh, is, is normally great at. He allowed fewer hits per nine than any other Brewers pitcher um, except for Devin Williams. So he was very good. I think he was, he was like a step down from peak Freddie that we saw last year, which Peak Freddie probably earns an A, but I think it's reasonable to expect he'll be, I would say, closer to the 2021 version of Freddie than the 22 version of Freddie next year. Granted that he is healthy and able to get off on the right foot going into the the 23 season. Yeah. How about Eric Lauer? Lauer, we we talked about, of course, the success he's had since switching over to number 52. He ate up a lot of innings, which I really actually didn't realize uh, until we were talking before the podcast, which certainly has some value like we talked about with Burns. What was your grade for Eric Lauer? I gave Lauer also a B. I think like the the overall like expectation for Lauer was kind of strange because he was really good last year. Nobody quite expected Lauer to put up the same numbers that he did in 2021. Uh, but he also threw considerably more innings, if not for that late season. Um, I think it was a shoulder injury that he had where he missed three starts, I think it was. Now, he would have he qualified for the ERA title. Last year, he, he only threw about 120 innings. So that, that jump, we talked about it with Burns throwing an extra 35. Lauer threw an extra 40. Um, and he, he increased from 10 innings on his previous career high in 2019. So it's no small jump when you jump that significant of an amount in innings. And I think that maybe what we saw later um, in the year, he was excellent. I mean, through his first 10 starts, he had thrown 56 innings and had a 2-3-8 ERA, that same 2-3-8 ERA that Woodruff had uh, since he came off the IL. So he was very good. And he he did still have some excellent starts in the second half, but it was a little bit more scattered. Um, he had an excellent August, but then September he got hurt, was a little bit more shaky, had 
um, a terrible start in Colorado, um, actually a couple bad starts against Colorado, um, and was, I would say, a little bit less consistent. So I think going forward, I mean, it's not like the Brewers really need Lauer to be a top-of-the-line guy, but seeing him as a as a mid-to-back-end guy is, is who he is and what we can expect him to be. And I think he was uh, more than sufficient for a, a four-starter going going uh going 11 and 7 with a 369 ERA. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we'll take that any day. 3.7 ERA across 29 starts and 160 innings nowadays. A lot of value from from Lauer. Also, the, of course, the Brewers uh, only lefty outside of Ashby. So, also some value there. How about Adrian Hauser? Of course, a lesser year coming off the great 21 campaign for him. What was your grade for him? I gave Lauer, or excuse me, Hauser a C minus. This may be a little bit optimistic, or maybe even quite a bit optimistic. But what I was looking at was the a lot of the underlying numbers that really were not all that much different from 2021 to 2022. He did have a 3.22 ERA in 2021, so of course that was much better that surface level ERA. Uh, and his his strikeout rate did drop. His walk rate stayed about the same. His home run rate stayed about the same, but it was really his batting average on balls in play that took a huge increase in 2022. So I'm pretty optimistic about that being more of a um, kind of a, a luck thing or an aberration and him getting more back to the pitcher that he was in 2021. I, I don't know Certainly. that it's necessarily sustainable for him to be that pitcher he was last year in terms of the ERA. But I think I think he's a much better pitcher, and I don't think he had as bad of a year as it felt like. Yeah, I mean, if you look at wins, losses, ERA, innings pitched, I, I mean, everything was down last year, and you shared a little bit of the reason. And certainly defense plays a role, especially for a guy like Hauser. But I think the 23 campaign, we can expect, you know, we had 21, 21 performance here, 22's performance here. I think we could probably both agree 23's performance probably somewhere in the middle. And I, I would actually think it's probably pretty squarely in the middle. Uh, I think it, we can expect some of those, uh, I guess, regression to the mean, as we always say, um, to happen between kind of the two polar opposites of a really lucky year in 21 and a not so lucky year in 22. Um, only 100 innings also was hurt for part of the year. But I think hopefully we can get uh, maybe closer to 140 innings out of Hauser and, and maybe an ERA or 3.84, somewhere in there. Um, certainly still value to be had in that uh, number five spot. I, I, I weighted Hauser's stats a little bit stronger on the ERA side um, than maybe the underlying stats. So I gave Hauser a, a D. Maybe I'm a little harsh, uh, but pretty rough season for him uh, last year. And, and let's move into our final pitcher here, Aaron Ashby. How about Aaron Ashby? I give Ashby a C-. minus. There were There were expectations on him for sure, but I think we have to remember what those expectations should be if you think about where Brandon Woodruff or Corbin Burns or Freddie Peralta was three, four years ago, and use that as the basis to to look at how Aaron Ashby might be expected to perform going into the year, I think he he was pretty close to those expectations, and he was extremely inconsistent. I think that was that was the biggest thing. He walked a lot of guys for for being a starting pitcher. I think that'll always be kind of part of his game, but he still struck out hitters at an elite rate. His walk rate, it wasn't good. It was it was up at about four batters per nine, but it wasn't something that's going to be a, a huge liability. And especially with his ability to get ground balls on that sinker, 
he can put up with the uh, the higher walk rate a little bit more. And I, I think he did take some some steps forward this year, especially learning how to start in the big leagues. He made 19 starts last year. He made only four. So getting that experience was valuable. I don't think that we we should have expected him to be a three starter or something along those lines already this year. And I think if he doesn't take a step forward again next year, that will be a little bit concerning. But with him locked up, he seemed to be happy in Milwaukee. He seems to be confident that he can improve and that he can grow into a better pitcher. Um, I give him a C minus. I think he was not far off from expectations. Yeah. Also giving Ashby a C minus. And I think your final point was, I think, the most important. It's really about steps forward, moving forward, getting better. Uh, we saw plenty of hiccups, of course, in Corbin Burns, which was quite obvious. Even Woodruff, though, um, he wasn't an all-star starter from day one. So we, we've got to remember that. And I think we put we put unrealistic expectations on him going into the year. I mean, even to even to put expectations of saying, you know, Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, when they were young, those are high expectations. I think we had higher, even higher expectations than their early years with the Brewers. So I thought his expectations were too high going into the year. I think he was probably slightly below expectations, but like you said, now he's locked up. He's got that certainty. Um, I think next year we look for him to make a step forward into whatever that role is, if he's going to be starting more depending on depth or being a more valuable you know, asset in the bullpen. But I hopefully, I think hopefully we see a hundred plus innings from him again next year and that ERA creep down closer to four, depending on where we see him in the rotation more or, or in the bullpen, but um, certainly probably the, the, the most, uh, I guess, exciting young pitcher, I guess, at this point, the Brewers have, if you don't uh, count the others. Um, so there we have it for our grades of the Brewers starting rotation. Um, we'll see what the Brewers have for next year. And if there are any new faces, I don't think we expect a lot of new faces in 23 from their starting rotation, but we also didn't expect Chichi Gonzalez or Jason Alexander to get the, the number of starts or even Ashby. I didn't expect Ashby to get 19 starts in the 22 campaign either. So I'm sure we'll see some new faces as well. So let's go to our final segment today here, our fact or fiction. This is a fun one. We will look back first at last week's Twitter poll uh, last week, our fact or fiction, David, if you could share that. Last week's fact or fiction was whether Sal Frelick would be on the opening day roster or not. And unfortunately, I lost, I had it pulled up and then I lost the tweet. Hold on. Let me find it. Almost there. One job. One job. I had on, a lot more on, than on. just one job. For this <laughs> um, wait. Oh, I must have passed it. Well, I can't find it right now, but there we go. 82% said fact, he will be on the opening day roster, and just 18% said fiction, which is a much higher percentage than I would have expected. I actually would would side with the minority. I would go with fiction. I don't think Sal Frelick will be on the opening day roster, but I think he will be up at some point during the year. Yeah, certainly optimistic, but I would agree. I'm surprised to see 80 plus percent. So we'll, uh, we'll pick one out of the five today. As always, we've got five. We'll go through here uh, in a bit rapid fire. And uh, Dave and I will share fact or fiction and, and share one uh, via Twitter as well. So to number one here, we talked about Rowdy Telez. Rowdy Telez is the long-term answer at first base. Fiction. I think, I think he might be a starter again for another year or two. But I don't, I don't think – I would say long-term is in three to four years. He's still, in the, still, as, a, still as a starter. I think that's fiction. I would say fiction as well. 
again, depends on how you define long-term, but I think he's not, he, even if Rowdy Telez um, ends up playing for the Brewers the next three or four years, does, does that still make him the long-term answer? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, because what yeah, just like, what is the, what, how do you define the answer? I guess I'm the one who, wrote, <laughs> I'm the one who wrote the question, but like, we're, we're kind of nitpicking, but, but I, I mean, I, I think that he's, he's okay. Um, he, he obviously provides some power, but the answer, I, I don't know. It sounds like a, it sounds like a weird nickname. Like there's gotta be someone out there who's like the answer. You like, no one actually calls him that, but would like, that would just be a random nickname. I feel like. Yeah. Probably of like Glenn Robinson or something. It seems like <laughs> it. <laughs> um, seems like it. Yeah. I, well, remember in like 2016, it was always, well, is he the catcher of the future? Is he the shortstop of the future? And it's like, when is this future? Like, how long will said player be a starter for the team? And will they all be, will, will the future all be at once? Because like Sal Freilich might be in the center fielder of the future, but Jackson Shorio might also be the center fielder of the future. But maybe 17-year-old Luis Lara might also be a center fielder of the future. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. We had we had too many of the future guys at that point, and we had very little we of did. the present. Let's well, just Corey say, Ray so. just filed for free agency, so that crossed one off from. I, that might be the last. He might really be the last guy to go because the Brewers' outfield of the future was going to be. It was going to be him. It was going to be Lewis Brinson. It was going to be Trent Grisham. Um, it was going to be. Who was there? Was one more at least. Um, oh, Monte Harrison. He was yeah, one. and Tyrone Taylor a little Pat bit. Phillips, Tyrone Taylor, and we're like, what are we going to do with all these outfielders? And the, la- the probably the the worst prospect of them, Tyrone Taylor, is the only guy that is. Well, I, I, I take that back. Grisham Grisham is a is a, yeah. is an average everyday player. That's right. But so so of the six, two of them have turned into something valuable, and and Taylor Taylor was actually worth over two war this year, but yeah. Yeah. Grisham, yep. Grisham Taylor. And then whatever you want to call Brett Phillips. Mm-hmm. I mean, stuck around for some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The number two factor fiction did not age. Well, I assume that it would, well, they could still resign him, but Brad Boxberger should be the brewer setup man in 2023. Um, it seems like Matt Arnold answered fiction on that one before we were able to. Yeah, he kind of gave the uh, overriding answer of fiction on that one. I think it's pretty unlikely to see him come back and and fill that set of roll. So let's move on to number three. The Brewers will upgrade at catcher this offseason. Fact. I don't know what level it will be. Are they going to sign Christian Vasquez, who's probably the best um, catcher after Wilson Contreras on the free agent market? That That would be an upgrade, definitely. He was an above average hitter and is generally considered an above average defender. There's there's Danny Jansen lingering on the trade market, Sean Murphy from Oakland. Are they gonna be willing to to pay the price for either of those guys? I, I, I would be willing to bet that they'll upgrade in some capacity at catcher. I'm gonna be pessimistic and say fiction here that the Brewers won't and will enter with a very thin uh, crew behind the dish. Number four. Brewers will upgrade in the infield in 2023. I think fiction, unless unless that 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 player is 
a first base DH. So someone who primarily DHs or enables Rowdy to DH, which I wouldn't really consider an upgrade in the infield. I would consider an upgrade at DH. I'm going to agree with that fiction as well um, on that one with, with the Wong, uh, retaining Wong. And finally, number five, Bryce Turing will be on the opening day roster. I'm going to go fact on this. He's not going to start on opening day, but I think he'll be a utility man, and it depends how well he plays. If he's struggling to get at bats every day, with Brasso also being in that utility role, and maybe Keston here, we'll see if, if Keston is still around on opening day. Then I could see him going back to AAA, but I think he played his way onto the opening day roster for 23. I'm going to go five for five on fiction here and say fiction, but of course, as expected, we'll see Turing during the season. So any thoughts, David? Maybe we go with that one for our, our Twitter poll and you'll have that pulled up next time. Sure. Yeah, I'll make sure to, to have that pulled up right and ready to go. And thankfully, we don't have any more option decisions, so we won't have any of our factor fictions spoiled. The ones that, that I have set for next week are ones that are a little bit more or, or less time bound. They're more long term ones. So, um, so hopefully we don't we don't see any of them any of them ruined. Yes. So let's jump to uh, our final two segments here. Our name that player and our trivia question. We'll start off with our name that player for those that are new. Five clues. David's got to name that Brewer. Current or active, excuse me, current or former um, clues go from, of course, hard to easy. David gives his guess uh, at the end of each clue. I will reveal the answer at the end of the five clues so you can play along. So number one, this player was a second round pick by the Chicago White Sox in 1990. Fernando Vina. All right. Fernando Vina seems to be a common guess you have. Uh, we have yet to see him appear. So uh, number two here, two-time all-star. Jose Valentin. All right. Sticking with the infield. Uh, career 3.57 ERA uh, for this pitcher. Well, I guess I was wrong. Um, White Sox, 1990. 3.57 ERA, so probably a reliever. How much time do I have? <laughs> the amount of time until somebody fast-forwards the podcast because you take too long. <laughs> Okay. We can just put this, this part at two times speed or something. There we go. Um, I'll go with David Weathers. All right. David Weathers. Clue number four. This player ended with a 63 and 61 win loss with 16.9 wins above replacement as a reliever. Solomon Torres. Solomon Torres. All right. Final clue here. This pitcher is a Wisconsin native and UW-Whitewater graduate. Bob Wickman. Bob Wickman. You have it. You are correct. Bob Wickman is our answer to our name that play. That was a tough one. I, I, I didn't reveal that it was a pitcher till till clue three. I, I'm trying to make him a little bit harder since you seem to, you know, the height and weight of, of players, you've just got that locked up in your head. <laughs> well, that one might be easy because Bob Wickman – if, if you know what Bob Wickman looks like, he's probably the, the options are probably going to be him or Todd Coffey. Oh, his baseball reference says he's only 207. But if you, yeah. if you look up a picture of Bob Wickman, um, he, he probably was not 207. Also, 
impressive second round pick out of UW Whitewater. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was surprised to see that. Also, I got to shout out Ray King. Ray King could be in that uh that that category with Coffee and and Wickman. Jonathan Braxton. True. Good. Um he also Some... was a five-sport athlete at Oconto Falls High School. Football, baseball, horseback riding, table tennis and basketball. According to his Wikipedia page. Man, I should have led with that clue. That that's a good one. Table tennis and horseback riding. That's true. Yeah. The, when is, when is his birthday? Cuz I got to put that February 6th. I got to put that on his on his uh birthday shout out. I put I put Glendon Rush's high school stats on his on his tweet about his birthday and he liked seeing his high school stats. He responded to him and some of his old teammates were even commenting on it. Who was it? Oh, that's awesome. Um Yeah. Gotta love the, Will, the inflated Will high Oman, school stats. Who I think was a, I think Will Omen was a Brewers minor leaguer at some point. Um, he made his major league debut against the Brewers. Anyways, so um, I'll save that one for for his birthday on February sixth. Put it on your calendars, and uh, David, before we go, our trivia question. Yeah, today's trivia question, how many players from the 2011 Brewers are still active? Anyone who played on the Brewers at any point of the 2011 season? Yeah, I know Zach Grinke will be entering his 20th season in the big leagues this year. So he's the player that comes to mind. Um, kind of coming through, of course, Braun Fielder, Gomez, Lucroy, Axford, all those guys, Markham, Gallardo, pretty much, not pretty much, all those guys. Now, moved on from baseball. So I'm going to go with Grinky. I'm not sure if there's anyone else. Martin Maldonado played in three games, one plate appearance. So he <laughs> would be a second member of that club. Brandon Kinsler also pitched a little bit in AAA for the Padres this year. He he pitched in 2021 in the majors and then midseason got picked up by the Padres, but never got to the majors. And I think allowed about... Um, he had, he had about a 21 ERA in AAA, unfortunately. So it looks like his career may be over. He's I think 37 now. Um, so Grinky and Maldonado, the last two that are left, um, I, I didn't check, but I, I highly doubt there are any members of the 2008 club that are still active, uh, in, um, in, in major league baseball. I mean, if you think about, there are very few, even at all from 2008, Kosuke Fukudome actually, just announced his retirement last month. I saw 45 years of age, 1996 Olympian in Atlanta uh, when he squared off against the Braden Looper led Team USA as I was doing some research. That was even before the Ben Sheets 2000 Olympic performance, four years before that. So um, he was, uh, I guess, maybe the Tom Brady of Japanese baseball. Um, I, th I think Ichiro yeah. might, might take that title. Um, given Ichiro's, um, his, his, his talent, but also his connection to Tom Brady. If those of you who haven't heard that story, um, Tom Brady contacted Ichiro and said, hi, this is Tom Brady. Could, uh, could you let me know what your stretching routines are? And he said, who's Tom Brady? <laughs> <laughs> so it might be a little bit of a, a little bit degrading to call Ichiro the Tom Brady of Japanese baseball, but either way, players from our childhood, um, from past years are retiring. We've seen a lot of them this year. And Grinky and Maldonado are the last two that are still holding on from that 2011 team. Yeah, absolutely. So let's close out 
today's episode, David, with our stat of the day. Today's stat of the day is for all the uh, all the haters on Brewers Twitter. Luisu Rios was the second most valuable Brewers position player by B War in twenty twenty two. Yeah, he was he was solid, even though it, it didn't necessarily even seem like he was, I guess, that good. But uh, yeah, Adames, Rios, Colton Wong. I think Urias and Wong both go under the radar uh, in their performance last year, but nonetheless, we shall see. Um, and it was always uh, always fun to record the podcast. As far as future podcasts, we'll probably be on about it every two-week cadence here in the offseason uh, with perhaps a bonus episode when the Brewers sign that massive bat that uh, we're, we're still searching for or uh, land the trade to, to acquire Danny Jen- Jensen. But we'll, we'll be hopeful. Um, and like I said, we'll be on a, a roughly every two-week uh, cadence. And I give a, a quick shout out earlier for videos on Spotify. So you can certainly listen to us on Spotify, watch us there. We'll be doing all of our podcasts via video now as well. Um, certainly check out Twitter at the barrel MKE also on YouTube at the barrel MKE or just at the barrel. Um, we'll have lots of content. David will be coming out with a new breakdown on the brewers, uh, shortly as well. So certainly check out that. And we appreciate you, uh, enjoy getting a chance to chat brewers content and certainly feel free to reach out to us on social anytime so with that this is peter and david go signing off as always go brewers thank you for listening to the barrel banter we'd appreciate it if you leave a comment or review so we can get the word out about our show To hear more, find us on YouTube at The Barrel or on Twitter at The Barrel MKE. We look forward to connecting with you next time.